Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Hello, you are very welcome to The Tonight Show. The Drew flu, the commissioner urges frontline Gardaí to enter negotiations as raging roster row rumbles on. But negotiation is the way through. We have an internal resolution procedure for industrial relations issues uh, and we wish to apply that. Plus the Temple Street Hospital debacle continues. Oireachtas Health Committee hears of shocking use of unapproved springs in complex spinal surgery. And we learn about the secret cyber operation which aimed to influence Irish TikTok users before it was shut down. Tensions between the Garda Representative Association and Commissioner Drew Harris have reached boiling point. The GRA is now calling on Garda to withdraw from voluntary overtime on five consecutive Tuesdays in October with the threat of pulling all Labour on November 10th if their demands on rostering are not met. Well, joining me to discuss this further is Fine Gael spokesperson for equality, Emer Higgins, Sinn Féin's Matt Carthy, Ireland editor with the Irish Independent, Fiannán Sheehan, President of the GRA, Brendan O'Connor, and down the line this evening, we're joined by broadcaster Jonathan Healy. You're all very welcome to the programme. I'm going to start with you first, Brendan, just very briefly, for anybody at home who hasn't been following this, the roster issue. What is it? Well, the roster issue is part of um, the issues that we're having with with the Commissioner and his team. And um, I suppose the roster is the the straw that broke the camel's back. So basically, the, the... the Commissioner's proposal is that we go back onto a roster that we were working pre-COVID on November the 6th. We would say it's not a popular roster. Our members are not in favour of it. It has been shown by his own research, independently commissioned, to be not fit for purpose. And um, our members are saying, what we're saying is, please, we, we want to find a new roster. We acknowledge there is problems. And we want to do is, let's just push that date back and find a new roster, go straight on that, rather than put the unheaval on our members, the uncertainty in relation to work-life balance, that that is causing untold uh, stress and, and um, putting a real strain on our members and, and their families. So we think it's illogical that we're insisting on this date. It's the only issue that we have in, before we enter negotiations. We, con- we consider a precondition of the Garda Commissioner that his insistence on this date knowing the impact it has on our members and that refusing the to... The old roster, as it were, the pre-COVID roster, which was six days on, four days off, as opposed to the current roster, which is four days on, four days off, he says that new COVID roster is gone and we're going back to the old roster from November 6th. That's, you say, lift that date. That's correct. We, we, we want to, to reach a solution. We think we're very close to it. And we're just saying the only thing we're asking is defer that date. Give the breathing space for the negotiation to take place and let the new roster be the one move. Our members have already moved on to the existing COVID roster with very little notice. We agreed to that. And then that has been the change in our people. Our members actually find it 
it, it, it works for them and they want to stay on it. But we have to, of course, negotiate and agree a new roster. We're saying, let us agree a new roster, but don't put members on to the old roster. It doesn't work. We also believe that it will impact on policing. And the Garda Commissioner's own words stated last November, he wrote to us, it was not an option going to that five-unit roster. So it's a confusing message from, from Garda management, but certainly an upheaval in members' lives. And also, we believe it will disrupt policing. We don't believe it will provide better policing. We believe it will impact because we see around the country to create that fifth shift we have to, we've seen uh, community policing and drugs units and a lot of units are being reduced in size to make those extra, that extra fifth unit. And yet Drew Harris was in front of the policing authority today and he said the current roster, the COVID roster, let's call it, is too costly. It's resulting in the loss of 13,000 police hours every single week, which is the equivalent of losing 320 Gardaí from our streets. Well, we would question the logic and, and that interpretation because at the end of the day, we have a fixed number of Gardaí working a fixed number of hours per week. So um, we, don't, we don't accept that there'll be extra Gardaí. This roster will you not... You don't produce, accept that it's more costly? Um, we, don't, we don't have the exact figures of where those costs are incurred, but whenever you have not enough Gardaí to police the state on roster tours of duty, you either have enough Gardaí working the hours are not enough Gardaí with extra additional costs of deploying them in overtime. So we don't have enough people. So no roster has, no roster will, will address the current shortfall in numbers due to recruitment and retention. So there's always going to be a cost of applying. So we okay, don't believe there's a magic roster. That there's benefits from this is that you're having to work fewer days, four days on, four days off, and that there's a high amount of unsocial hours allowances that goes with this COVID roster. So that's what's making it more costly. Well, Delivering policing is a 24-hour is a 24-hour obligation, and that's what we have to provide. And the antisocial payments that are associated with it definitely are. Um, they will they will apply with any roster. But is there more of them under the COVID roster? Not for the 24-hour core units. Perhaps for some of the other units that are working at it at the moment. But we have a solution that we believe addresses that. That as we presented at Westminster and is currently on the table, and we believe that we have a solution that will bring back some of that issue. But it, it's, not, it's not a significant amount of money, we don't believe. OK, given what has been, I suppose, uh, threatened here by the GRA, this removal of overtime for these five Tuesdays in October, them, two of them being Halloween, I think, and Budget Day, how concerned at a political level and at a garden management level, Fionnan, are they at the impact, the very practical impact of that and just the overall escalation of this? Well, you saw... Today, it, it was the, the top item being brought up uh, on, on leaders' questions by the, the main opposition uh, party. And, and the reflection back from government as of now is, well, this is a matter for the Garda Sheikhan and, and Garda management uh, to resolve. That, that becomes a less sustainable position to, to adopt politically once you start getting nearer to event and once these events start, start kicking in. And, and then the focus very much becomes honed in on the minister has to intervene. That will be the, the call as things things going on. Look, there's there's whatever about the impending dates in uh, October, the big date of, of November the 10th, there is a full six weeks uh, now to, to find some, some form uh, of a resolution. The state uh, beyond uh, on Garda Sheikhana has, has got ample uh, industrial relations mechanisms 
uh, that can kick into to, to action uh, to, to resolve matters like this or, or at least take, take some of the heat out of it. And you'd expect that that will, will have to crank up over the coming weeks. OK, I just want to go to Jonathan Healy here because, Jonathan, you were speaking on News Talk Radio and you were saying that you feel this escalation here, this threat of a blue flu of a, of a strike, really, um, in, in quite practical terms, you think that's the wrong way to go about this? Why? Well, it's kind of an unusual hill for the rank and file to climb because they've already said they've no confidence in Drew Harris. That very much signals intent, which gets you moving in the direction that you might want to go. But the question is, how do you back down from that? So let's assume that eventually this row is settled. Are the GRA going to turn around and say, look, we do have confidence in Drew Harris. Terribly sorry about that. And we're going to get on now. The guards are supposed to be a disciplined force. If individual guards came out and said things against senior officers, including Drew Harris, they would find themselves in a difficult position. Um, If discipline breaks down, it's bad for the guards. Preconditions are going to disrupt the negotiations as well. Brendan says they're close to a solution, in his opinion. So therefore, if you are close, November the 6th, is over a month away. Why are you imposing that precondition? Because what that means is it's going to be harder to get both sides to even starting meaningful negotiations. Equally, I think they're going to have difficulty getting the public to back whatever happens next. They might avoid what uh, older people like myself would remember as the blue flu and opt for the less serious Drew flu. They don't do their overtime. The question is, will the public notice? They've picked two significant days, Halloween, where there will be extra pressure on Agarda Siakana, and Budget Day, where there will be pressure, one might argue, around Leinster House. Rosters are a hell of a lot of a harder sell than calling for better wages or safer cars or more officers to be involved in certain projects. Gardaí definitely have genuine concerns. There's no denying that. But the public mightn't back them as much, Kira, on rosters. The majority of right-thinking people might say, well, we don't get a say over our, our hours of work. Why should the guards be any different? OK, so we'll put that back to you. You know, a lot of people, their work changed over COVID and now it's come back to the way it was beforehand. Drop the precondition if it's preventing these negotiations from progressing. Well, as we would see it, that the commissioner is the one who's imposed the precondition. That's how we feel that he has this, this date hanging over us and we believe that it's his precondition. That's the only thing that's stopping us getting into talks and that's really the issue for us. Is that really the sword to fall on, this date? Well, it's well. just to, to, to pick up to on what was said there, the, the roster has probably become the focal point, but the issues that led to 99% of the members of Angarda Siakana vote no confidence and a turnout of 85%, the problems in Angarda Siakana run a lot deeper than rosters. But what rosters do show is show what we believe is the attitude and the intransigence of managers and the denial of the existence of problems. And I think the public aren't that far from Gardaí and other issues such as the operating policing model, the lack of visibility, the administration that's keeping guards off the streets. All the problems that our commissioner and his team say are not problems and are not crises and there is nothing to see here. It's unprecedented that any workforce, particularly guards, and we, we reference a discipline. We come from a disciplined force in a different. This is guards think long and hard before making decisions like this, and this is not where we want to be. But unfortunately, we cannot deal with problems when there's a fundamental denial. And the commissioner is still on record saying there's not an issue with morale. It, it's okay. It's let me just go to Matt Carthy here. Matt Carthy, let's say we fast forward <coughs> a few years, and you're the justice minister. What do you do here? Do you back your commissioner or do you back the GRA? No, I was struck when Jonathan said, you know, at some point this is going to end. And that's the one thing you can say in relation to any industrial dispute. 
eventually it will come to an end and then nine times out of ten that end is as a result of of a compromise but generally it takes somebody to show leadership somebody to intervene and the person who's best placed to intervene in this instance of course is the minister for justice because they have overall responsibility now i know our own spokesperson pa daly has actually called on minister mcintyre to come before the Oireachtas committee next week but so she I, doesn't have overall responsibility for rostering well, that is within no, the remit of the guard no and i actually have a, a little bit of sympathy with both management and certainly with the GRA because the crux of all of this is actually down to Garda numbers. And after 12 years of Fine Gael Justice Ministers, we actually have less Garda now than we had a decade ago. It's actually quite staggering when you consider increases in populations and other increased pressures that are on the Garda. I think it's five years or more, Brendan might correct me, since we had actually commission on the future of, of, of policing um, in this state that set out a set of recommendations that, as far as I understood, were accepted by virtually all stakeholders, including um, members of the Gardaí, Garda management, government, and yet those elements of that report that are actually in the hands of government to deliver actually are still outstanding after uh, after five years. Okay, so, but even if even if there was a huge recruitment drive, even if there was a huge intake into the Garda Síochána, the rostering issue still would be something that the GRA are disputing. And I, th I think, and again, Brendan can correct me if I'm wrong, if you address the issues in terms of Garda numbers, then the issue of rostering becomes much easier. And I think the commissioner is even on record of saying that because so it creates a huge level of... This of, of, of flexibility. I think it, everybody needs to approach this from a reasonable point of view. And it seems to me the most reasonable point of view is that everybody comes into a room yeah, and trashes this out without any preconditions. OK, so you would say to the Commissioner, drop the November 6th and yeah. just get into room talking. Listen, without me intervening over the public airways in terms of the discussions, um, I think it's a reasonable suggestion that everybody just leaves dates aside and actually go in and resolve this before we have a situation whereby many of our towns, cities, rural communities are already under-policed that we don't have a situation where we create um, conditions for you know, criminals and others to take advantage of the failure of the minister and government in the first place to have an appropriate policing framework in place and um, of, the, uh, of, of the parties to dispute to actually find a reasonable settlement. Uh, Eamon Higgins, if the Minister for Justice doesn't get involved in such a way that you know, there's some progress, some breakthrough here, are we going to find ourselves in a position where you have 14,000 members of the Garda Síochána who are going to be on a pretty clear collision course with the Commissioner, but with a Fine Gael Minister for Justice? Listen, we absolutely hope not, and, and that, that has to be avoided. What we need here is a roster that works. We need a roster that works and that is suitable for public policing and overall community and society safety, but also a roster that works for members of the Gardaí. I understand where guards are coming from on this. Um, the old roster that was negotiated back in 20, 2012, it, it's not family friendly. Um, I can completely appreciate that. And for commuters who are coming up to Dublin, living, living outside of Dublin, it, it doesn't work for them. I get that. And I think what we need to do is make sure that the the right people are around the table um, to, to thrash this out. We have so had engagement. Does the minister engagement. need to get involved here? What the, role the minister, would she potentially The minister have? isn't the person for this. No, what we need is the, the person in charge of this, who is the commissioner, to negotiate with the representative bodies of the Gardaí. That is the process here. We need to exhaust that first. Um, it's great to see Brendan talking tonight about being close to a solution. We have six weeks um, to figure that out. And that has to happen, absolutely, because we need a roster that works for public safety and we need a roster that works for the Gardaí. OK, but it was very clear from listening to Helen McEntee that she very much backed the commissioner on this. Is that your position? 
well, my position is the commissioner needs to get this resolved. Absolutely. That the commissioner and members of and representative bodies of the Gardaí need to sit around a table, negotiate this out and come up with a roster that works. It's difficult here now, isn't it, Fiona, because everybody's going to have to try and save face at this point? Yeah, uh, I mean, ultimately, the, the minister can't not back the Garda, the commissioner in, in a situation like this. I mean, otherwise she's supporting the, the GRA position of having uh, no confidence uh, in him. So she, she has to, to hold the, uh, the, the, line, the, line. the line there in, in, in that regard. But the, the minister can certainly give indications to the commissioner of government's thinking of what sort of mechanisms that they would like to see uh, being employed. I mean, ultimately, you you could have uh, an independent arbiter being appointed, which would normally be a process that comes about where somebody is, is put in, in between the two sides to try and find a resolution. That's normally directed by a, a the line minister. Um, just to a point that Jonathan made, let's say we do get this issue resolved and that there is an expectation that it will be resolved. Will you then suddenly have confidence in Drew Harris? Well, I think um, to, 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 to bring it back from 99% of the workforce having no confidence is, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a monumental challenge. And we have seen in the intervening weeks, instead of the commissioner being conciliatory and addressing, and again, acknowledging that there is issue, his language and his approach hasn't been conducive to building trust. And we need a change of mindset from him and his senior leadership team. And we haven't seen that, in fact. So do you want actually ultimately a change of commissioner here, even if this is resolved? Is that what you're saying? Well, that's that's an issue for the government. But what we want to see is a change of mindset. We want to see a commissioner who leads the force, who our members have confidence in. We don't want to see, uh, Emer mentioned there, it's well acknowledged that this roster is not family friendly. And we have a member insisting in imposing that on a workforce at a time when we're understaffed, as Matt referred to. So we're asking less people to do a more dangerous uh, job, put themselves in harm's way, work on social hours, which we have to do is difficult. But this actually makes it more difficult. And the leader of our organisation is quite confident and comfortable to say, yeah, that's what I'm doing. OK, let me just go back to Jonathan Healy, because I know you're trying to get in there, Jonathan. Yeah, look, compromise is the only solution here. There is only one show in town. It mightn't be Westminster Town. It's not the COVID roster. Both sides have to get around the table somewhere and work this out. I mean, if you're to strip everything away from it, Kira, that's what we're talking about here. The issues that are emotive, that are impacting the guards, and I know they're impacting the guards because I have friends who are guardy who consistently tell me about the challenges of the rostering system that's being proposed. But we're going down to brass tacks here for any workforce to single out the biggest boss, in this case, Drew Harris, and pin failure directly on him. That is going to be a challenge for what happens next. If the GRA has an end game here, it's hard to see what it is right now if it isn't the removal of Drew Harris, because that vote, the second the question was asked, has put them on a course that is very difficult to reverse out of. And while Brendan is representing his members and doing a very good job in doing it as a negotiating tactic, putting it up to the guard, the commissioner, their ultimate boss, to whom they are responsible as a disciplined force and saying, we don't have confidence in you. I can't see how they're going to back out of that one. OK, just very briefly, Brendan, as it stands, if this isn't resolved, you'll be telling your members to down tools from November 10th. Well, just to clarify here, we actually don't have the, 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 the ability to call for industrial actions. What happens is individual members will make a choice themselves as to their, their course of action. And what we saw yesterday was 160 delegates 
who've stated that they are going to do that. And even today, the commissioner made comments that it was only the Central Executive Committee of, of the GRA, which is only 31 people. So even today, he's not listening. He so do you think, think the other 11,000 will follow suit? Well, we would have a suspicion that that is going to be the way, because, as I say, we have never seen such unity amongst our members. We have never seen such anger or frustration. And it goes further than rosters, but okay. certainly it's unprecedented and it has to be diffused in some manner. All right. My thanks to Brandon O'Connor and to Jonathan Healy for joining us on that subject. After the break, we look back at the Oireachtas Health Committee, where TDs and Senators grilled Children's Health Ireland executives. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. You're very welcome back. Well, earlier today, Children's Health Ireland's executives were grilled by TDs and senators at the Oireachtas Committee on Health to address poor surgical outcomes at Temple Street Children's Hospital. CHI Chief Executive Eilish Hardiman apologised for the scandal, stating that children did not receive the care that they were entitled to and deserved. During the committee, Senator Tom Clonan opened up about his own son's experience having spinal surgery in the hospital. So my son had spinal surgery in Temple Street in 2018. At, at, at almost eight, he was 18 years old. He should have had that surgery when he was maybe 12, but he didn't because it's Ireland and he was on an extremely long waiting list. And his curvature was so pronounced that it compressed his organs and compromised his lung function so that he had something like 20% uh, lung function. I don't know what your higher specialist training is, or yours, or yours. I don't know what your memberships or your fellowships are, or what your disciplinarians are. But as a layperson, I know that's wrong. That shouldn't happen. It's foreseeable. It's preventable. It's reportable. Well, Fine Gael's Eimear Higgins, Sinn Féin's Matt Carthy and Ireland editor at the Irish Independent, Fiona Sheehan, have stayed with me to discuss this further. Uh, a pretty emotional contribution there from Tom Clonan today, Fiona, but there was pretty forensic questioning, wasn't there, of Eilish Hardiman around, I suppose, who knew what, mm. when, who was aware of what was happening at Temple Street and when did they become aware of this? Yeah, and, and there, was, there was reference back to this letter that Mary Lou MacDonald disclosed on the floor of the Dáil yesterday. So there was no avoiding that. It's on the floor of the Dáil, underprivileged, uh, stating exactly 
what it was that, that there would appear to have been knowledge, uh, if not an awareness of the implications uh, of what was involved here going, going back three years. And you'd get a charity man saying she, she didn't, she wasn't aware of that. Uh, so to be clear, she denied that she had any knowledge that these. Um, Springs really yeah. is, in fact, what they were, were being used in the hospital. She said she has no awareness of that communication, yeah. no, re no recollection, I think, was the word she used. It, it was also curious, though, that when, when you get... So there was, OK, there was a very substantial denial there, but she was also being asked uh, whether this had been discussed amongst clinicians back in, in 2020. David Cullen and Sinn Féin not really getting a, a satisfactory answer there and who, who procured... Uh, these implements as well. Again, not a satisfactory answer being kicked towards others oh, an investigation ongoing. So not terribly satisfactory that you have an Oireachtas committee, which to be fair, has stepped up and sought to get some answers here when you have a Minister for Health who has pretty much been anonymous uh, on, on this issue uh, and showing that the, the, the Parliament is, is taking this matter uh, very seriously calling in the, the, the senior staff and basically being told, oh, well, there's an investigation ongoing, we can't answer these questions. Um, I just want to go to um, a piece that we recorded just before we came on air this evening. I spoke with solicitor Simon McElwee, who is representing one of the impacted families. And I started by asking him what he could tell us about their experience at Temple Street. Well, Kira, thanks for having me on. Um, so I represent one of the three families uh, whose child uh, to which springs were inserted, these non-medical devices. Um, I suppose I want your viewers to understand that we can look at all doll committees or read all newspapers, uh, but I want those of us who are parents to put yourself in the shoes of my client's parents and to feel that their child was used as some sort of guinea pig. Tell me about the surgery that your client went through and what happened in the aftermath of the surgery where those particular springs were inserted in the child's body. Uh, so the operation took place in April 2022. Um, I, it was noted by the Taoiseach yesterday that there may have been consent. I think it was there was a letter handed in by Mary Lou MacDonald to indi that indicated that you know the consultant was saying there was consent. I just want to be clear, there wasn't consent. In that operation, the springs were inserted into my into my client. Uh, those springs were obviously non-medical grade devices bought from a company for maybe five euros uh, from the UK. Uh, outrageous stuff. Um, about a month later, uh, the wound got infected, and my child, my client, had to come back for surgery into, into the hospital and had to Bridman surgery. About a month after that, uh, my client's parents noticed a lump in her back. Uh, they brought her to Temple Street Hospital. They were told by a consultant there, these things happen, nothing to see here. They went back home the next morning. The springs that were inserted broke through my client's ribs and metalwork or the springs broke through her skin. They then brought their child immediately to hospital where it became a struggle up in Temple Street uh, to have her seen to, in fairness to the consultant involved. Uh, he did insist upon there being a, an operation quite quickly. And that was the start of multiple operations, I think six subsequent operations that year. Um, I suppose if your viewers could know the effect on, on, on my client, the child, uh, she, um, she has missed most of her school year. The classroom into which, when she is in school, the classroom has had to be altered. Uh, there has to be had a special mattress 
uh, so that she has to lay on the mattress because of the sores on her back. Uh, she is a changed child. Uh, she rarely talks or interacts. Um, as for my parents, as for my client's parents, I should say, I suppose imagine when you feel uh, that your uh, child, uh, who you love very much, is handed over to surgeons and you feel that she's been used as a guinea pig. Imagine then not knowing uh, what the future holds for, for your child. Um, imagine not feeling that you've been kept informed by the CHI and others, uh, and they're very angry. It's hard to actually listen to you describe what happened to this young child. As a parent, I find that actually very difficult to listen to. It's deeply traumatising for all of those families, isn't it? Uh, well, absolutely traumatising. I mean, uh, the last year, I mean, I suppose my clients, they have another child. Uh, they don't know. Uh, I mean, my clients have had to spend a lot of time in hospitals. She does not know if her sister is OK. She, she, she misses her parents. It has been an extremely traumatic year. It would be very difficult to describe what it has been. How have they been since this story broke? Uh, well, at the centre of a storm, really, but also angry. Um, also angry because they feel that they have been drip-fed information from the very start by the CHI. Um, I mean, if I could just comment on that, I mean, today's proceedings uh, before the committee, uh, just another example of why the CHI can't have a role in any of these investigations. It's effectively the police, I suppose, akin to a situation of the police policing the police. We can't have them involved. The CHI knew a year ago that there was a serious issue. They must have known of the springs. They yet have only invest uh, ordered an investigation recently. I, I note the letter uh, it was handed to the CEO today. And I know, in fairness to her, she said she didn't receive that letter. Um, you know, I also know the tactic of the CHI to effectively dump on the surgeons involved. Now, I'm not saying the surgeons um, obviously it didn't commit some serious, uh, some serious trouble here, but the CHI have to answer, answer for what happened. These invoices for these springs were made out to the CHI, and I'm just wondering why they have a role in any investigation. And I know there's questions about that an investigation into that procurement process, they said, is um, ongoing. In terms of the terms of reference for this external review, which already you've said you're not happy with, why do you feel the terms of reference are too narrow? Well, I suppose there's talk about extending those terms of reference. Uh, it's not that, by the way, I'm impugning the consultant uh, appointed. I mean, he, he, you know, not at all. Uh, I suppose what I would say is I don't want the HSE or the CHI uh, to be involved in that investigation. And the terms of reference, I suppose, should go uh, not only to the procurement of springs and otherwise, but also to other operations and other CHI hospitals. It's just too narrow. Um, and in my view, um, I mean, I don't act for the advocacy group, but in my view, the parents and or the various advocacy groups should have a role to play. What do your client, and probably more so your, your client's parents, given their young age, what do they want to see now? Uh, well, just to speak about their own situation, they want answers, um, and answers quickly. I mean, they don't know the future for their child. Uh, they want to make sure that we get it right as a country also. I mean, it was said by, by Deputy Durkin today, we have to get this right. I mean, I just cannot... You know, this is the most vulnerable people in many ways in this country. And we just need to get 
the proper investigation in place. We need the answers quickly. We need not to have the agency or CHI involved. Okay, just very, very briefly, Simon, will they have felt any reassurance, any confidence after what they heard at the committee today? No. All right. Simon McElwee, thank you for speaking to us. Thanks for having me. Uh, Matt Carthy, it's very difficult to listen to what that child has gone through. Deeply, deeply traumatic. Uh, the idea this was that the parents, first of all, feel that their child was a guinea pig is one thing, but the second difficulty that they have is the way they were communicated with. NASA Horrigan said today that the communication suggests that the system was protected rather than the children in all of this. Would you agree? Well, that, that's um, horrendous. Listen, you'd imagine you were listening to you know, some story from the 1940s you know, um, in, in terms of the, the treatment, um, but also how the family uh, and the families have been, been treated. And I have to say, I was stunned. I didn't get to watch the hearing live. I was in other meetings, but I was watching back at various clips of it. Um, I was stunned with the position that CHI took there were clearly questions that they had the answers to that they wouldn't provide. And remember, I think David Cullinan asked on four separate occasions and whether the CEO had attended a particular um, meeting where this issue was discussed. No straight answer in terms of the procurement. And um, the nearest to an answer that he could receive was that, that, that CHI were invoiced but no answers in terms of procurement. There are issues that can be very easily determined. You know, if, 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 uh, if an official comes before an Oireachtas committee with the intention of providing as much information as possible on those type of questions, it takes a text message to so you find don't think it's acceptable it for them to say, look, I, there's an investigation it's, ongoing it, into it, this it, procurement? So as I see it, there are, there are three distinct issues. And, uh, and, and the two most important are in relation to th those families that um, um, Simon McElwee is rep representing and, 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 and others. In and those families absolutely need the truth. But we also I thought Tom Clonan's um, testimony or questioning today, you know, apart from relaying his own experiences, as, as we saw in his own family's um, horrendous experiences because of the length of time that his son had to, had to wait. But in terms of the questions and in, um, in terms of how CHI managed the overall position of the huge and lengthy waiting list that make things more complicated, that make things more difficult. I thought he was, he was on, the, on the ball. But ultimately, again, government have overseen a situation where we now have 260 um, kids and their families who are on lengthy waiting lists. And we shouldn't have to wait until after all these reviews and reports are published to actually start addressing those. I think it's way beyond time if we're serious. You know, we're hearing government representatives saying we have to get this right. Well, let's get it right right now for those 260. And I think a number of proposals have been put forward. One, for those children who are in a position to travel abroad, I think the government should be sourcing an international partner that would allow them to, um, to go abroad to get the, that treatment and then put in place measures that the rest, um, those who aren't in that position, get the treatment they need yeah, and, and, get, and have the confidence of, of knowing that when they get the, the treatment, it's actually going to be the treatment that they actually require yeah. and, and, that if and, and those instances of you know, complications that seem to be very prevalent in these cases, that, that, that we actually have assurances that, they, that, that, that there's going to be a, a proper oversight in relation to those. Uh, Eamon Higgins, just another point that was made there, the families do not want the HSE and they certainly do not want the CHA involved in any of these reviews. Do you agree with them? Well, the HSE and CHI firstly have to fully cooperate with these reviews. That's absolutely foremost and that has to be foremost. And um, the terms of reference need to be widened because we need to make sure that families are happy with it. We need to make sure that the advocacy, 
advocacy groups are happy with it. And they're not, clearly, Emer. Exactly, and there are discussions underway. I know the Taoiseach met with some of the groups today. Um, I mean, what we need are the facts around this. It's absolutely heartbreaking listening to that. And that's one experience of 19 different families. Um, I mean, trust has been completely shattered in the system. And what we need to make sure is that that's rebuilt. I don't think today's Oireachtas hearing rebuilt any trust at all, to be, to be perfectly honest. My view is we need full clarity on the timelines, on the facts, on the decision making. That means everything from procurement to governance to oversight. And this external re review will deliver that information. To, to a point that Fiona made, where has the Minister of Health been on all of this? Why haven't we heard from him? The, the, this, this is on the Minister of Health's absolute priorities. Like we, we know that this is a massive issue. I haven't seen him take any leadership here. Is this on him? But, but listen, what we need to do is get to the bottom of this. We can't jump to conclusions. We need the facts. The external independent review has been set up to ascertain exactly those. But you Once, say this, this is happening on the Minister for Health's watch? It is happening. Of course it is. We're so aware of that. he has to that. take some responsibility here? Well, what we need are the facts first. Does he so have let's to take get some responsibility facts. here, Emer? Let's get the facts first. Let's understand it. But yes, ultimately, I mean, the book stops with the Minister. Of course it does. But we need to make sure that we don't jump to conclusions, that we have all of the facts laid bare, the timelines, the decision-making process, the procurement, the oversight, the governance, all of that has to be absolutely detailed. And only then will we have the information to be able to really genuinely look at this, yeah, uncover but you know it and see where today, things went wrong. Sorry to cut across you there, but what was said today by Tom Clonan, and I thought this was so accurate, the springs were a symptom of a completely dysfunctional system. This is not been the first time that there are question marks over the treatment and the waiting lists for children who need this type of surgery. Why has there not been the political will to deal with this? Well, there has. 19 million euro was put into making sure that we provided, for example, an extra theatre in Temple Street in terms of scoliosis Listen surgeries. To the waiting lists. You're, you're right, they're completely unacceptable and we need to make sure more money goes into that, more funding goes into that, but we also need to make sure that trust in the system is rebuilt. That means getting to the bottom of this, that means laying those facts bare. That is exactly what this independent review is going to do. Tom Clonson waited six years, that's what he said. And that's completely unacceptable. And I have constituents in that, in that situation too. That's why so many of us have been campaigning on this issue. And that's why 19 million was put into, in, in specific terms, was put into treating scoliosis patients. More needs to be done. Uh, Fiona, families at home who were waiting for this surgery are now desperately waiting for news as to when those surgeries are going to commence again. Has there been any update on that? Not that I know. I mean, this is... This is why, I mean, Minister for Health, he can't be held responsible for every single operational uh, difficulty that emerges, even something on this level, uh, within the, the, the health service. But what he can be seen to be doing is throwing his authority behind a providing reassurance to people who are now on the waiting list and are wondering, is all this going to clog up the system even more? Is this just going to, to, to uh, cause things to drag on even longer? And also be seen... To, to be leading the charge in terms of getting to the bottom of, of this issue. You know, we, we, we spent eight hours during the summer going through two invoices on another matter, which was far more frivolous than this, the serious nature of, of what we're dealing with here and wasn't really answers being provided. So you want to see that the, the person who is at the top of the political system, in this case, the minister, is actually throwing his weight behind it and basically reiterating strongly that from a government perspective, the public 
they will need to be reassured. And the first step in that is providing those facts and figures. As one of the, sorry, you... sorry, I was just going to say, he has done that. There was a specific debate on this during the week in the Dáil. The minister was there. The minister did, did, did commit to doing exactly that. And that's exactly what but needs to happen. The since he came into office, of this waiting list. And successive ministers have, have known. Um, and the truth is, we have 260 kids. And, you know, time matters in this. I thought Tom Clonan put it very well. You know, every year makes a difference in terms of the further implications for a child who doesn't get this treatment uh, in time. And I think, to be quite frank, the CHI's attitude in the committee today is symptomatic across the health services. There is this sense that nobody is accountable. And the only way Even you will ever... Even in this time of open disclosure? The, the only way you will actually ever change that culture of accountability is if you have a government that is demanding it of, of all the state bodies that are publicly funded, but particularly in our health services. All right, we're going to have to leave that discussion there for now. My thanks to Emer and to Matt for joining me. We have lots more to come after this break. Very welcome back. Well, social media giant TikTok has revealed it discovered and shut down 72 accounts with over 90,000 followers set up to influence Irish users. Fiona Sheehan has stayed with me and joining him to discuss this further is Vish Gain from Silicon Republic. You are very welcome to the programme. Vish, this has been called a covert influence operation. It certainly sounds pretty sinister. Yeah. What can you tell us about it? Yeah, so covert influence operation is just a fancy way of saying it's sort of a fake news campaign. Um, whatever we know about this campaign so far is based on a TikTok report to the European Union. So last year, the European Union came up with um, a code of practice on disinformation. It's basically to rein in the power of big tech and get them to moderate content on their platforms. This is a voluntary code. That you it is voluntary, it? yes, and which is also why Twitter ended up leaving. But we can talk about that in a bit. But um, TikTok, as part of the, the requirements of this code, um, submitted a report earlier this year to, um, to the European Commission detailing uh, the, the investigation that it did and the covert operation, um, the, the covert, the CIO, as it's known, um, trying to shut down the 72 accounts, which had, as you said, 94,000 followers uh, collectively. Um, and what this was is essentially a group of, uh, a network of people who spread disinformation, which is distinct from misinformation, which means that you intend to spread misinformation um, on themes such as nationalism. And then in the report, they've also mentioned COVID-19 vaccines and climate change and even Holocaust denial and stuff like that. So it's a pretty, pretty serious network that was trying to push uh, um, these pieces of disinformation in the Irish uh, market. And they were trying to push these individuals off TikTok, weren't they, onto other platforms? That was part of this operation. Yeah, what they've said is they wanted to, in their comments to different uh, posts and content, uh, they would regularly try and get people out of the platform. We're not, you know, it's not certain what they exactly meant by that. We don't know which platforms they were referring to because we haven't actually seen them. Like my For You page is largely indoor plants and factoids about the Roman Empire. So I don't get to see these. But, you know, the people they'd be targeting are the people who've already shown an interest in these topics that I just mentioned. So, um, yeah, we don't we don't actually know which platforms they went to. But it, it, there is a suggestion made that they're sent off to other platforms. And do we have any idea who is behind this operation? Any speculation in the report as to who these individuals are? So... 
what it seems like is it's a global operation. I mean, they, they also talked about this Russian group that was spreading disinformation uh, in, in the German market, largely focused on German speakers. Um, and this was about the impact that the war in Ukraine was having on Europeans. Um, they haven't mentioned where um, the Irish uh, section is coming from, where, what the source is. Um, and because there's nothing, no source beyond what TikTok has reported to the European Commission, we don't really know. But I'd say there, there has to be, you know, it, because it, the patterns are the same, it's, you know, what, what we call the dark patterns. Because the patterns are the same, I'd say it, there might be a foreign influence as well. But um, there's also domestic, you know, there's, there's always people interested in spreading disinformation. We're not, we're not unfamiliar to this in Ireland. So... Yeah, it's probably a mix of both, I'd say. Yeah, and yet, Fiona, what was really interesting about this was that it was only Ireland that was targeted by this particular operation. We have to speculate as to why that is. This, yeah, but the, 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 this report was also identifying in other countries other other sorts of, of, of similar uh, operations. And in, in this case, all the more sinister because if you look at the demographic uh, of TikTok, it is a, a younger and therefore uh, more Im impressionable audience. And, you know, it is highlighting a major problem for Irish regulators. You have only in, in the past month, TikTok being, being fined 345 million uh, for breach of children's privacy by basically opting them into all sorts uh, of, of, uh, of settings uh, on, their, on their TikTok account. This was sort of ensuring that their accounts were never private. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Accounts. And, and so, so wide open there for, for potential uh, abuse. You also have had a, a BBC investigation in, in recent weeks looking at the, the manner in which TikTok, in effect, behaves. And while, you know, we're all used to algorithms feeding us more of the same type of content, what they were finding was that it was even more intense and that, that TikTok was actually encouraging the creators of this content to create even more, even if it wasn't verified at all. And this was having an impact in terms of everything from investigations into to the death of Nicola Bully, which everybody would have heard of in the, UK, in the UK, to the riots in France, that it was encouraging particular patterns of behaviour because it was generating the clicks. And it didn't matter whether the activities that were, that were going on were, were legal or ethical. But I suppose in their defence, you would say, Vish, that this is a voluntary code of conduct and they have signed up to it and they have issued this report to the European Commission in a way that other social media platforms like X, formerly known as Twitter, hasn't done. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, they're making an effort, you can tell. I mean, even with the, uh, if you look at the, the lawsuit, uh, sorry, not the lawsuit, the, the fine last week, um, that was quite a big fine. And uh, it, it, it relates to a time period when TikTok had already uh, made the changes and it's been making lots of changes as pl Project Clover as well, where they're trying to house European data within the European Union, spending millions on creating three new data centers. So they're making an effort, um, especially when you compare it to other social platforms such as X, which decided to just leave the disinformation, uh, the code of dis uh, di practice on disinformation. Um, I'd say, you know, it's, it, it, they're, they're clearly making an effort. Yeah, um, but one of the difficulties here, they said the, the company removed 2,165 videos posted in the first half of this year, but it had already been viewed over two and a half million times. Yeah. It's, it's almost too little too late, isn't it? Yeah, no, the, the shocking part of that is the fact that it was viewed so many times. I mean, the damage is already done at this point, but th it raises other questions like how do you, how do you regulate this? What, what, do you, what mechanisms do you use to determine which video is spreading disinformation or which isn't? You know, there are only so many human verifiers you can have. So, I mean, the future probably rests in having more advanced AI systems that can decide 
on behalf of humans what constitutes disinformation. Okay, and very briefly. Bad, bad fed actors will factor that in. They'll get it up for maybe five minutes or an hour and they'll, they'll factor in, okay, that's, it'll be pulled down, but we'll get to the damage while we're in there. We're coming into potentially election season next year mm. and the year after. I wonder how much um, this is sort of on the government's radar, that they are going to have to do, tackle or deal with some of this misinformation out there. Are they even aware? So TikTok are employing anything up to 3,000 people in in, in Ireland, so they, they are one of the, the, so the compromised. T- tech giants here that we are then reaping our, our corporation uh, tax yield from, uh, and our in- the income tax is based on, on that number we were working here uh, as, as well. So hence, yeah, th- there has been a constant accusation that Ireland is too soft touch on the big tech. All right, we're going to have to leave that there for now. My thanks to Fiona and to Fish and to all my guests for joining me tonight. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms and you can find us on Instagram and TikTok tonight at the MTV. But from the team here, good night.